Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with insightful Bible teaching by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. After many years, David finally takes the throne of Israel. Find out more today on Warrior King. We're so glad you joined us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. I am Jeffrey Seif, and we are going to look at patience, something in high demand but short supply. We need it in this world, don't we? All the time, <laughs> every day. I mean, we really do. And, and I've got to applaud David, King David, finally. He did it. He waited it out. Uh, Galatians 6, 9 is one of your favorite uh, verses, right? Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, let us never get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged or give up, just like David. He didn't. <laughs> we go now to our dramatic reenactment and where we finally see that David is king of Israel. Let's go there now. I was among the leaders of the tribes of Israel that day when we gathered in Hebron. King Saul was dead having taken his own life on the battlefield. We had assembled at this place to anoint David as our new king. David had proven himself to be a worthy leader and a mighty warrior. The covenant he shared with us that day assured us that the Lord would continue to be our source in the days ahead. He pledged his devotion and we promised the same in return. In the anointing of David, we witnessed the birth of a new kingdom, a kingdom which we prayed would never pass away. from the city of David at the southern part of what's known as the temple complex today uh, lie these ruins that have been here for centuries. Some decades ago they began to be unearthed. Uh, Kathleen Kenyon, a famous uh, archaeologist, uh, put her uh, axe into the soil here as have others to try and reconstruct uh, David's palace and I'm coming to you, yes, from the Acropolis, the very place, if you can imagine that. It's one of the benefits of teaching here from Israel. Uh, we don't just tell the Bible story, we can give individuals a window into it, and, and, and what a story this is. I wonder what David would have felt like, frankly. He'd been on the run from Saul, 
for the better part of 13 years, if you can imagine that. It's been a long time since uh, Shmuel showed up and anointed him, called him out from his father, uh, set him up um, in the midst of his brothers and said that you have an appointment with destiny. I don't think it got to David's head because he wasn't walking around like royalty afterward. Uh, in fact, he was teased and pushed around by his brothers and uh, disrespected in the family. And not only that, he wound up after, you know the story of David and Goliath, after all that, he winds up being on the run from Saul. So just because he was anointed by that prophet didn't mean that he was going to profit from it anytime soon. But it seems the case that uh, God does have his appointments for people. And uh, if you can imagine the better part of 13 years after uh, he was uh, busy taking flight from Saul, actually 13 years on the run, finally uh, this man comes into his destiny, at least the first step of it when elders gather together at uh, Hebron and they appoint David as king, they anoint him. This story is told in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, and it reads like this. All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. This actually came to him in, in stages. In fact, David's life came to him in stages. And we're told here that first at Hebron, where he's going to administrate from, from a number of, for a number of years, that the Zekinim, the elders, the word elder, uh, Zekin in Hebrew is bearded one. And uh, what happens is, is those with Sechel, with smarts, they realize they come to terms with who this man is and they're acknowledging him. And David is anointed. And we see that he comes into his kingdom in stages. I think this is a good point to underscore the fact that a lot of times people come into their victories in stages. Uh, this is important to underscore in a, in a world where we, we microwave everything. We want it immediately. Instant happiness, instant fortune, instant success in life that we want to uh, believe God's promises for our life and we want it instantly. The problem with that is, in reality, it's just not like that. Uh, you might find a church that'll blow stardust in your face and tell you that success in life is yours just for sitting in the pew for a couple of weeks and putting your money in the offering plate, but I think that's overly simplistic personally. And to my way of thinking, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. When we look at the story of David, we learn of a man who had many trials on the way to the top. And here I am, not at the top, but close to the top, as I'm making my way up, the, uh, uh, up this little mount here that takes me up to where the Temple Mount is. And this is the place, actually, where David later on is going to uh, uh, make his name known uh, through his capital city here in Jerusalem. And again, as we uh, look into David's world, and we've been doing that generally, but particularly in this program, we're beginning by looking at his anointing. And then we'll, we'll finish up by looking at David's excitement when the ark was brought into his city. He was just so ecstatic because David had a lot of challenges in his life, but he learned through it all that if he would follow the Lord, the Lord would lead him on successfully, like Paul said, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. And I'm reminded of that here as I stand in the ancient city of David.
was cold and dark and foreboding. But the king assured us that the secret to taking Jerusalem would be through this water passage under the city. In defiance, the Jebusites had stationed their blind and lame around the city, little suspecting an underground attack. But King David was shrewd, a brave warrior who listened to the Lord for direction. We took the stronghold of Zion that day and it became the city of David, where the king would rule for 33 years. Almost directly beneath me, here in the city of David is a very famous tunnel, one that David remembered his entire life because, you know, after he was anointed uh, king at Hebron, it was, uh, it came to him to contend for the city of Jerusalem. Uh, we're told in uh, this chapter that I began reading in the previous segment, uh, verse six and on, that uh, uh, David uh, wanted Jerusalem and the Yabusi or the Jebusites taunted him saying that this dog will never be able to enter into our stronghold. They had the high place and well fortified. Uh, but the Lord gave David a strategy, not just a vision. He had a vision for a capital city and after taking it, by the way, uh, we're told that the Lord made his name great. Actually, it's the way this little section finishes up in verse 10. So David went on and became great there uh, from his capital city. But the Lord didn't just give him a vision. He gave him a strategy for accomplishing it. And why is that? Because uh, the road to success in life is marked with many perils. It seems that success doesn't just open up to us magically. I know you may well uh, find a church or some place to sit and a preacher will say, listen, just believe this doctrine and sit here and you know, put your money in the offering plate and presto, life's just gonna come up for you good. Well, I do believe that uh, God has a good plan for our life to be sure. But coming here from the city of David, coming here from uh, just atop the, the tunnel that his men went into to fight, I want to tell you that while God has a good plan for us, it still is incumbent upon us to contend for it. If we want to be David-like leaders, it seems to me that, especially, by the way, in the day and time in which we live, I believe that, that godly people need to recover that, that contending. And why is that? Because we have work to do. My concern is, frankly, that uh, Christian faith and virtue is getting away from us. I believe that, that, that our government is getting away from us. I believe that family values are getting away from us. I believe that personal righteousness is getting away from us. And we need to have that militant edge be given to contending for our destiny in God. I believe those that are thus minded can enjoy good success by virtue of their being armed with that particular disposition. In any case here, we're looking at a story where David tells his men, let's arm up and go for it, guys. Oh, there's a vision and there's a strategy. He says in verse seven, well, in verse six at the end, they said, David can't come here. But David, on the other hand, took the stronghold of Zion, we're told. He took it, he seized it. David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft, just beneath me here, and defeats them, well, this is where command is. Success in life, we're told in the text, is going to go to those 
who contend for it. Now, I want you to hear me on this, please. I believe that in America, we have it way too easy and many of us are way too spoiled. We think we're entitled to success in life. David didn't just give away commands in his army. It went to the brave. It went to the courageous. It went to those that wanted to serve him and who by dint of determination, they armed up for the struggle and they took some risks in order to accomplish it and God was with them and David honored that. Why is that? Because fundamentally he was that. And what's that? An entrepreneurial spirit, a, a winning attitude, someone that wants to believe God and go for it, to stand for something, to go against something, to contend, to press in. Where is that? By the way, I believe that we need that now more than ever. The males in our culture are enculturated into being effeminate, warriors, not warriors. We need to have that believing, going for it, that dogged determination to believe God for a great future, to serve, to carve out space in this world. I'm of the ilk that still believes, even in a difficult Goliath-like world, I believe that David-like folk can have success in life. And I'm reminded of that as I sit in this historic place made famous because of the bravery and courage of David and his men many thousands of years ago. Our resource this week, the Hebrew Names of God cards. This collection includes 12 vibrant, high-quality art cards, each with Old and New Testament connections on the back, with scripture and beautifully written devotionals. These art cards can be used for personal reflection, group discussion, or as a beautiful gift for your friend or pastor. For this resource and more, call 1-800-WONDERS or visit us at levitt.com. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store, there, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. The word worship comes from two words, worth and ship, or a ship of worth. Individuals who worship the Lord ascribe value to what he's all about. Not everybody does, of course. People think that religion can be a waste of time and a waste of money. I'm hoping there are a number of you that disagree and will be kindly disposed, realizing that one of the things that we need to do to keep a ministry like this afloat is to ask people to find, who find worth in what we do to invest in helping this ship to go forward. 
If you would, please be gracious. In short order, we're going to see a drama about David worshiping the Lord, and that invoked the ire of some because they didn't get it. For those of you that get what we're all about, please help others to get it as well by keeping our Jewish roots on the air through a kind donation. Thank you. The city of David was a fitting place for a king, but the crown jewel was missing. David's desire was that the very presence of God be brought to his city. And so it was that we were among those appointed to escort the golden ark of the covenant to Jerusalem. Our delight that day was in the Lord. As David danced through the streets of Jerusalem, our hearts leaped for joy. Jerusalem had become a city of the living God. He didn't do a very good job of containing himself, now did he? He invoked the ire of his wife who thought he was playing the fool in front of the masses. And why is that? Is because David was so very ecstatic when the, uh, the ark was brought into the city. He was beside himself. And the reason is, is because he knew that it was the Lord who placed him where he was. He, he credited the Lord with his success. The Lord gave him favor with a net result. He was able to carve out a kingdom. And here we are right now in the place where he made his name to dwell, here in the city of David. This is just one little corner of a big archaeological site. Friends, I'm coming to you from the palace of David, if you can imagine that. Oh, the place is abuzz with activity, the site itself. Now, tourists can't come right here. We're beneath the scaffolding. We got permission to come and take you where people don't venture to go, but that's a Zola Levitt trademark, isn't it? We have a cistern over here, various uh, storerooms, restrooms, bedrooms, living rooms, closets, whatever, whatever the stuff of a palace is made of, David's palace in particular, here we are. I'd like you to uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to give you a biblical address. Usually, homes have an address. Well, there's a biblical address attached to the story for today in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod, we're told. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Let me speak to you about this for a second. It seems to me that David wasn't just the kind of guy whose wife drug him to church on Sundays. As well, it wasn't a church back then. It's not like his wife is nudging him, you know. You know, usually it's, you know, the lady of the house that's religious and the guy just kind of gets shooed along for the sake of the kids or whatever. 
No, this is a guy who really is thrilled. Uh, David seems to be uh, experiencing an ecstatic moment here. There's abandon. He doesn't really care what his wife thinks, what people think. He's just so excited, and why is that? Because David, more than anyone, credits God with his success in life. Now, I want you to hear me on this, please, that you know, for some people, it's just a religious tradition, but I believe that if we'll walk with God, it's not an easy road, and it's not a quick road, but you're gonna be better off in life if you walk with him than if you disregard him and just you know, break out your own machete and carve a path through the wilderness of this world. David learned that, began this program by reminding that though he had his challenges, first with Goliath, uh, well, first with his family that didn't believe in him, and then Goliath and his brothers are taunting him out there on the field. And then he runs from Saul, if you can imagine that. 13 years on the run, but you know what? God used the experience to build him up. Now, I want you to hear me. I believe that we have a God who leads us in triumph. And I believe that the males of our species need to recover that kind of triumphalism, that believing God for great things. And I want you to know that, that if we'll put God first... There's a verse uh, that Yeshua said that if we'd seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then other things would be added unto us. Here in the city of David that was carved out many years ago, I'm reminded of the fact that this God who is the same today, yesterday and forever, wants to make a name for anyone who wants to cast their name among his disciples. And why don't you do that? I believe that we live in Goliath-like times. But David, like men and women who stand up, who contend, I believe that we can expect good things from God, even in a world where good news is in high demand, but short supply. Kirsten grew up a minister of music's daughter. I grew up a pastor's son. We both grew up in pretty conservative churches, worship-wise, and I love a good messianic worship service. If you haven't been to one, try it out and see how they are free in worship. I don't know about your church, your congregation. congregation. Do they, are they free like David was back in the day? Well, yes. You know, I mean, people do whatever they want. God bless. If, I wasn't raised as a pastor's kid or minister's yeah. kid. I was raised in a synagogue. We don't have all of that in the synagogue. You know, it's pretty staid. Uh, it doesn't roll out the praise and the worship, if you will. If we would have been like David back in the day with his free worship in our churches, I think people would have been embarrassed. People were embarrassed with David back in the they day. They were I think, back too. then, but you know, in David's day, they didn't have synagogues. They weren't gathering together in church houses for any kind of experience. You know, the synagogues were 500 years down the road till oh. you have this gathering together and someone bringing forth a text. Uh, you do have uh, the music as part of the tabernacle, part of the temple program, but that's very seasonal. People go there, you know, once a year, twice a year or whatever, and there's Levitical choirs, but it wasn't the world that people lived. To that end, David, his excitement for the Lord made him stand out. You know, there weren't, uh, you know, it didn't exist so much. The ark was back. That's why. 
right? I mean, the ark was back. Yes. They had possession of it once again. And the ark was perceived as the throne. And there's something beautiful in that, that when it wasn't until David, you know, welcomed God back on the throne with that, till then the Lord welcomed David onto the throne. You know, it's kind of like the proverbial, seek first his kingdom and everything else will be yours. It's a classic example of David putting the Lord first, subsequent to which then David comes into his own more fully. David knew he was who he was, where he was, because of God, who he was and where he was. God put him there, and it's his way of turning and saying thank you. And we celebrate the fact that he celebrated that ark coming in, and it's unbelievable because he was celebrating the presence of the Lord coming back into his area and in his life, and that is available to you 24-7. The Lord himself wants to come in and dwell within your ark, if you will. We'll be right back. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Arise, walk through the land, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Worship in the shadows of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Behold the land of the covenant. It's an incredible opportunity to walk, not only where Jesus walked in the Holy Land, but to experience the land of King David and the city of David. It's spectacular. We take you there on our tours every single time. Now let's go to the wonderful Holy Land, the Promised Land, and hear from our friend Chaim Mailspin. Some people ask me what's the difference between the secular viewpoint and the ultra-orthodox viewpoint of our Temple Mount, you know, where Haram el-Sharif is. Well, you know, in the Six-Day War, in 1967, uh, we were able before that to visit freely the Temple Mount, understanding that it's administered by the Jordanian Waqf, but only Muslims were allowed to pray there. Even Moshe Dayan said that only Muslims should pray on the Temple Mount. Well, the truth be told, that's not what the Bible says. So those who read the Bible suddenly have a different viewpoint of the Temple Mount. And even this new synagogue, which is inaugurated under the Temple Mount, is a true depiction of the mindset of the religious, those who read the Bible. They say, yes, we should be able to pray at the holiest site to the Jewish people in the world, which is not a holy site to the Muslims. I want to say that God's will will be done. Let's put aside the politics and the, and the religion and focus on the God of Israel and what he would wish to have on his Temple Mount. Kirsten and I enjoy looking at real estate in America, and we would say that it's a hot market right now. Talk about hot market, the Temple Mount. That's it. 
I mean, you rang the bell with that point, David. It is so very, very true. It's one of the reasons why I believe there's value in our ministry, because we stay there. We focus on that eight ball. And I don't just mean rhetorically verbal. I mean, with our cameras, we're in and out of Israel, and we're going to be looking at the action in Jerusalem, which is ground zero for amazing things to come in the prophetic calendar. Well, going there, when, when we take tours there, we walk the steps of Yeshua himself. One day he will be there again, walking those very streets and we'll be there with him. What an incredible, incredible future we have. Indeed. Thank you for your insight today. We have much more in this series. We end our program today with this. Thank you. Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This has been a paid program brought to you by Zola Levitt Ministries.